Father God, uh, we thank you for being, uh, making us a part of this ohana of faith. We pray, Lord, uh, that wherever we're coming from today and wherever we're going this week, that we would go with your hand upon us with a sense of purpose, with power, and with security in you. In Jesus' name, I pray. All right, time for a warm-up. Roll your shoulders. Crank your neck. Give a high five to somebody next to you. Uh, in the spirit of all the great testimonies in the morning, we'll, we'll, just, we'll start with a question. Um, what did you do this week that was meaningful? What did you do this week that was meaningful? Share with somebody next to you. Now, if you whiffed this week and you did absolutely nothing to make the week meaningful, uh, that's okay. You can say, ah, it was a slow week for me. That's fine. But let's just share. What did you do this week to make it meaningful? What did you do to make your days meaningful this week? If you're visiting, excuse me for the awkwardness, but this is just something that we do to build culture and encouragement in our ohana. All right, that's enough of that. Too much meaning can, you know, demeaning. <laughs> All right, second question, uh, now that we're getting warm. And you might have to think about this one a little bit. Huh. Everybody listening? What's an interesting truth about yourself? What's an interesting truth about yourself? I've seen some very troubled faces. What's an interesting truth about you? You might have to think about it a little bit. Shake your head at me, young man. Many interesting truths about you. What's an interesting truth about you? I'm not going to give an example. I will, I will follow up, but just want you to wrestle with it. What's an interesting truth about you? All right, share it with some people next to you. What's an interesting truth about you? You know, one or two sentences. No big deal. What's an interesting truth about you? It's an interesting truth about you. I notice on this question, the conversation is kind of at a lower decibel level. It's an interesting truth about you. All right, that's enough. That's enough, although I know you're all fascinating people. I'm just interested. So on that, on that question, when I asked you to tell someone something interesting about yourself, how many of you shared something that was negative or embarrassing? Hold your hands up. Let's, let's say half a dozen. Let's say six people. And how many of you shared something that was, you know, more generally positive or you know, strength-oriented. All right, so the, the vast majority. How many of you, like, never, ever raise your hands when I ask a question? Because you're afraid I will call on you and embarrass you in front of the congregation. You can tell the veterans from the newbies. Um, here's an insight. 
uh, I think is just true in life. Our strengths make us attractive, but our weaknesses make us interesting. Do you think that's true? Our strengths make us attractive, but our weaknesses make us interesting. You could, you, could, you could tweak that a little bit. I think our strengths make us attractive, but I think it's our weaknesses that make us compelling. Sort of, you know, influential. I could tweak it a little more by saying our successes make us attractive, but our failures make us interesting. Do you think that's true? I mean, we're always attracted to strong people. We're always attracted to successful people. Uh, I don't know. They, they don't really become compelling. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, or fully meaningful to me, unless I hear a little bit about weakness or failure. I mean, that's, that's much more relatable and changeful when I hear that from people. As it turns out, I think it's being honest about our weaknesses and failures that very often set us up for influencing people. And I think it's being honest about our weaknesses, our failures that very often set us up for freedom in our own lives as well. Which is why the Bible makes such a big thing about, uh, about what is usually called confession. Confession. How many of you have heard about like the Christian practice of confession? Any, any former Catholics in the crowd? You're supposed to go to confession every week and, and share your sins uh, with the, the priest so that you can get uh, forgiven. It's a very famous Christian uh, ritual, uh, confession. How many here like confession? Two, three... Yeah, that's the response that uh, I usually get. But why, why is it such a big deal? You know, it's like going to the dentist like you should go, but nobody really likes it. I'm sorry, are there any dentists in the crowd? Because there's grace for you here. All right, well, so I want to talk about confession today. We're just going to go through the sermon series on life principles or just simple life lessons from the Bible the short series, and last week we talked about redemption, and this week I want to talk about confession. Uh, confession is kind of a generic word, really. You read it a lot in scriptures. A lot of words in Hebrew and Greek get translated into English confession, uh, but, but the way things get translated are, it's often variable in scripture. Sometimes it's translated confession. Uh, when really it's a profession, like you're supposed to confess the name of Jesus, to confess your faith. Well, that's not like confessing a sin. That's more like professing a truth or professing a faith. Uh, when when uh, in the New Testament uh, people talk about confessing sins, well, that's a different word. Uh, and We won't go through like the Greek word study. But basically, I think confession is telling an embarrassing truth about yourself. Telling an embarrassing truth about yourself, dot, 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 for the sake of freedom and power. Telling an embarrassing truth about yourself for the sake of freedom and power. It's that last bit that I like, the for the sake of freedom and power. Um, let's drill down a little bit. Do you need to confess your sins in order to get them forgiven? Come on, Bible scholars. 
According to scripture, do you need to confess your sins in order to get them forgiven? Blue Water knows this. What's the answer? Okay, so Blue Water doesn't know this. <laughs> Technically, the answer is no. No, you don't. And, and scripture makes this abundantly clear. My personal favorite story about it comes out of Mark chapter 2. And it's the story where the guys dig a hole in somebody's ceiling and lower the paralyzed guy down on the ground in front of Jesus because that was the only way they could get him in front of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus looks at the paralyzed guy on the mat and says, uh, you know, take courage, your sins are forgiven. Just, just forgives him right there on the spot. There's no ritual, there's no confession, there's no repentance, there's no discussion whatsoever. And some religious experts are there in the crowd and they get kind of angry at Jesus and they say, hey, that is not the way that it's done. And only God can forgive sins anyway. You can't just go around telling people that they're forgiven. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you want to bet? Which is easier, to say you're forgiven or to say you're cured from paralysis, stand up and walk? Silence. Jesus says, well, so that you might know that I have authority to forgive sins, stand up, pick up your mat and walk, heals the guy miraculously. Point made. That, that forgiveness is a ministry just like healing is. We can go around and heal people's sickness. Well, you know, we have authority to go around and forgive people's sins as well. And Jesus ends up saying to the disciples uh, at the end of the Gospel of John, whomever you forgive on earth is forgiven in heaven. Whomever you don't forgive isn't forgiven. In other words, make sure that you run around forgiving people like nobody's business. I am charging you with the task of forgiving people. And so that's a good lead-in, you know. Hey, my name is Jordan. You are forgiven from all your sins. Try that one at work, Rylan. It will go really, really well. Uh, except your name's not Jordan, but my name is Ryland. You're forgiven. <laughs> That's an awesome business card. I'm going to play with that. Anyway, um, the forgiveness is really a ministry. Now, rep now, confessing sin or repenting from sin, that's, that's a different thing. And you should definitely do that stuff, but for different reasons. Even the Old Testament makes this clear, you know, that you're supposed to confess sins and sacrifice and, and take steps of repentance. Uh, but even the Israelites had this ceremony that they would do once a year where all the priests would, would use a scapegoat. They would get a, a, a goat and they would lay their hands on the goat and they would like place the guilt of the entire nation's sin, everybody's sins on this poor goat and then kick the goat into exile in the, in the wilderness. Um, and that was a scapegoat. It would carry away the guilt of everybody in case, in case somebody missed confessing a sin there was a facility for making sure that it was forgiven anyway. And that's always been the attitude of God. Forgiveness is important, but it's not really hard in the kingdom of God. So technically, you don't need to confess your sins to be forgiven. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. Whew. Yes, that means I don't need to confess. Okay, that's wrong. Uh, I'm going to try and get you to uh, confess uh, your sins. Scripture, scripture, although you don't technically need to confess your sins to be forgiven from them, Scripture encourages confessions and reassures us that when we confess our sins, forgiveness is always there for us. And that's usually how the verses read. Go ahead and confess your sins. You'll definitely be forgiven. As if to say, you know, confess your sins. Don't worry that you'll just 
be overwhelmed by judgment and rejection. That's not how it works uh, in, in the kingdom of God. When you think about it, radical forgiveness is sort of a precondition of a culture of confession, right? Uh, we, are, we are never going to get good at telling each other our failures, weaknesses, and our sins unless we are really good at forgiving each other, right? I, I want to know that you're going to forgive me and that you're going to be cool with me before I tell you what I did wrong, right? Go ahead, say it louder. Thank you. Thank you. Now I feel good. I, I need to know that you're going to approve of what I say before I say it. No, that didn't follow. But I appreciate the amens. Your scripture for the day from James chapter 5 in the back of your program, it's also up on the big board. You can follow along. A short one. James, the, the apostle that wrote this, was the, the brother, the... Uh, the biological brother of, of Christ, technically his half-brother, one of the other sons of Mary. <clears throat> and he's writing to uh, a circle of churches generally, and he's just giving them very practical advice, and this is a very practical uh, passage. Hey, is anyone among you in trouble? What's the answer going to be? <laughs> we all have trouble. Yeah. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Uh, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That's just how we roll, people. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I, I just kind of love the attitude of this passage. Look, if you're in trouble, pray. That's what we do. We don't freak out. We don't stress out. Uh, we don't hide from our problems. You know, we just pray about them. Is anyone happy? Well, I mean, we share that with God as well. We sing songs of praise and encourage one another. Is anyone among you sick? Same, same. Well, you know, call the elders of the church. Call, call the ministers. Call the veterans, right? Call the people on the prayer line. And uh, they'll anoint you with oil, which was sort of a custom of the day. We do it sometimes. Just sort of a, an agent of prayer. Uh, a way to pass power from one person to another. They'll anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It's just so matter of fact. This is just how churches run. And that's very much how we try to run our church. And then he, then he throws in there, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Which sounds like a freebie when he says it, right? You're sick. You're like, oh man, I got the flu, I want to be healed, I'll call some of the prayer veterans over, uh, they'll pray for you, they will heal you, and as a bonus, you will be forgiven for your sins. It's like, it's like that easy, that feels really good. There may be a subtle implication in here that one of the reasons some of us get sick is because we've been living sinfully and that screws us up physically or spiritually in such a way that it manifests as sickness, but no problem. No problem, according to James. We just take care of that through ministry to one another. So easy speezy. Go ahead and write that down. Easy speezy. Um, therefore, therefore, what, what's he mean, therefore? 
therefore, because, because it's so easy, because this can be done so practically, therefore, because it's easy, because it's so cool, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Same, same. Just in the way you would say, hey, I'm feeling sick. Would you help me? You can say, hey, I'm struggling with some sin. Can you, can you help me? Same, same. Everybody say, easy, easy, speezy. I can't even say it. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When you get right about these things, then your prayers just become supernaturally powerful. I just love this passage. So matter of fact, so straight ahead. Some things are just practical operating procedure. Healing, forgiveness, confession. This is just our operating procedure. This is just how we roll. Uh, notice that forgiveness precedes confession in this description of things. You're going to get forgiven. Therefore, confess. It'll be really helpful. It'll be good for you. Um, it's just a powerful thing we do. You know, there's that saying, confession is good for the soul. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever experienced it to be true? Or we have that saying, you got to get it off your chest. You know, what's bothering you? Uh, same sort of idea. Even the world knows that there's some truth uh, to the value of confession. We experience this often at our Holy Spirit retreats. How many of you have been at a Holy Spirit retreat? So what part of the Holy Spirit retreat am I going to talk about? The circles of filth, right? We all know these. These are famous. What we do, the Holy Spirit retreat, uh, is that particularly if you're a newcomer uh, to uh, our faith, Ohana, or you're a newcomer to God and the Holy Spirit, you may not have experienced the immediate presence of God, the supernatural power of God. So the way that we tackle that uh, is that we have these Holy Spirit retreats a couple times a year. We take people away. We study all the passages in Scripture about uh, the Holy Spirit, which is basically the manifestation of God in the here and now. We call that manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. You know, it's God's presence and powerful and speaking to you and healing you and, you know, empowering you physically at that's the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, and then we pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or as Scripture says, baptized or doused with the Holy Spirit. And it's often uh, a very powerful, dramatic experience. Sometimes it's a subtle, powerful experience, but, the, but it's, it's powerful one way or another. But right before we pray for people to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we get into a circle. We usually have a guy's circle and a gal's circle uh, most often. Uh, and we call it the circle of filth because I believe marketing counts. The circle of filth. Uh, and everyone who's, who comes to the circle of filth and sits there has to share a sin in front of everyone. And the rule is that the sin needs to be at least a little bit embarrassing. We don't like wimpy sins at Blue Water. You know, so if you're going to share a sin, you know, it's, it's got to be a little bit embarrassing. And, and, and the ritual is really simple. You know, you could say, uh, you know, if I haven't met you, my name is Jordan, and for stress relief, I kick puppies, you know. And, and, then, and then everybody in the circle of filth will say, what? You're forgiven in Jesus' name. That's right. People know this. And that's it. That's the entirety of the exercise. You know, and we make a rule. There's no counseling. There's no conversation. You know, it's just like confess the sin. Uh... You might take a moment to gasp, but then immediately you say, you're forgiven in Jesus' name. You're clean. And then we move on. 
Time in and time out, what I hear from people who do the circle of Phil is that it's, it's their favorite part of the retreat, which is an incredible thing to say because the retreat is designed to be an encounter with the living and powerful presence of God. But the freeing part of the retreat, the most changeful part of the retreat is just this very simple exercise of speaking an embarrassing truth about yourself. Time and time again, I've just experienced that that exercise is liberating. It's changeful. It's empowering. Why is that? You know, why is it so powerful? Well, I think one reason is because uh, it's confession strikes at the heart of the fear culture. The world is dominated by a fear culture. We talk about that a lot at Blue Water. If there was one truism you can really live by, it's that all of the world is afraid. Everybody in the world is struggling with fear of some sort. And a lot of that fear is hinged, uh, is connected to uh, people's fear about themselves. You know, uh, I don't measure up. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, beautiful. I'm not acceptable, not attractive. Um, nobody loves me. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a thousand uh, variations, but this sort of self-oriented fear about yourself. And when you confess an embarrassing truth about yourself, it runs head on at that fear. We have a saying of Blue Water, fear is the start of every bad thing. And one of the most effective ways to keep bad things from starting it's just to shine a light on the fears that you have, you know, or the root of those fears. You know, what's the root of fear in your life? Well, one of the roots is going to be that, you know, you're afraid of being discovered. You're afraid of being found out. You're afraid of letting people down, whatever it is. You know, so you're hiding something. By habit, you're not even thinking about it, you know. But if I ask you to share an interesting thing about yourself, um, I promise you that one of the things that makes you interesting is your, your weaknesses and your failures. But by reflex, almost none of you are going to share those. It's just not what we do in our, in our world, you know? But I think in some sense that's the most important thing, one of the most important things uh, that we can share um, about ourselves to the world. Well, you know, this is... This is how I've fallen short. There aren't many things that every religion in the world has have in common, but one thing that every religion has in common, every truth system, is the sense that humanity has fallen short, that we're not what we should be, that we're not what we could be. That's the one thing we all share. It's obvious, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. We should, and that would really free us uh, from fear uh, quite a bit. Um, we talked a little bit last week about uh, this, uh, this phenomenon in Europe uh, where young professionals are getting together and having dinners where they share the stories of their biggest professional failures, right? These failure dinners. They, they don't call them failure dinners. They call them F-up dinners, you know. Uh, I, 
I won't say that word in a sermon, although once Julie did while I was on sabbatical. <laughs> that is an F up that you can now share. But, uh, yeah. What's that? It was on Easter Sunday? I didn't hear that part. I tell you, I leave the church for six months. People are just cussing up a storm. I never cuss. Um, but these little dinners have just taken the world, you know, Europe by storm. They actually started in, in Mexico and then they spread uh, through Spain and into Europe. Um, but it's just it's a raging success, which is why we're going to do uh, our own version of F up dinners. We're going to call them failure dinners because. We don't speak that way, being good Christians. Just, yeah, not on Sunday anyway. Yeah. Um, it goes right at the heart, right? And you can't help but experience freedom from fear when you share embarrassing truths uh, about yourself. I mean, that's not, that doesn't even sound overly spiritual. It's just a truth. It's just a truth. And it's a truth that we should be really good at. Why? Well, because forgiveness is easy in the kingdom of God. You will be forgiven, therefore confess, as the Bible uh, says. Um, it goes right at the heart of the fear culture. And then, and then secondly and relatedly, the reason, one reason that confession is so powerful is because it sets you up to move in truth. It sets you up to move in truth. And if you move in truth, you move in power. There's a, pas uh, a passage from the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, which is actually my favorite chapter in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John. But let me just read it to you. I've excerpted it a little bit and condensed it because um, John, uh, John can be a little wordy. Um, but here, here's the story. It's about one of the many discussions that Jesus has with the religious rulers in his culture. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the thesis statement for what follows. And then the religious rulers answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? How dare you? You know, I, I get that a lot in the world. Like whenever I talk about, hey, you know, uh, Jesus makes forgiveness easy. If I say that to just people who do not believe without any preparation, what are they going to respond? They're going to say, don't judge me. I've got nothing that I need to be forgiven from, right? That's typically the attitude. And Jesus definitely got that as well. How can you say that we shall be set free? We're, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves is that true? We just did a Bible series on the whole arc of the Bible, the story of the Bible. Have the Jews never been enslaved? There's a pretty significant chapter in Jewish history uh, that involves them being enslaved for long, about 400 years. And then it led to the Exodus. It's kind of the most famous chapter 
in their history. But we're like, no, we're descendants. We've never been slaves. Like, what? But, you know, we can appreciate this. It's like, well, that's a chapter in history that, what? I mean, we know it, but we don't express it in that fashion. You know, we, we, don't, we don't call it. We don't call it that. Plus, there's all these episodes where they've been kicked out of their country, where they've been dominated by other countries and other tribes, usually because they'd fallen into sin and lost their ways. And at the moment of this conversation, the Jews were occupied by the Romans. Their land was in the process of getting taken away from them. They were under Rome's thumb. So it was just a ridiculous thing for them to say. But Jesus doesn't address it directly. How, how can you say that we've ever been slaves? And Jesus replied, Okay, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you've no room for what I'm telling you. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Dun, dun, dun. Abraham is our father, they answered. Uh, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus says, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you nothing but the truth that I hear from God. You're trying to kill me. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of, of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself, they say. Jesus said to them, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. That was his problem, if you're interested in what the devil's problem was. He knew the truth, but he did not hold to the truth. Big difference. He didn't practice truth in his life. That's the devil's problem, according to Jesus. For there's no truth in him now. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. I like that. That's a great insult. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. That's the, that's the discussion. The Jewish people, I mean, there's a big truth about the Jewish people. They got roughed up a lot. They were constantly in slavery. They were under oppression right now. They couldn't even deal with that basic truth. Why? Because they just, they didn't practice truth. They had a self-image of themselves that was all about power and patriotism and efficacy. You know, a lot of cultures want to be like that. And so they couldn't even admit the truth about their history or their current condition. And it was kind of ruining things. And ultimately what it did is it made it impossible for them to hear the simple truths that Jesus himself was telling them. And, and Jesus said, this is so bad in you that you're going to kill me because I insist on speaking truly. And of course they did. They did kill him. The Jewish religious leaders were hung up on the self-image, their own self-image. Hung up on self-image. Go ahead and write that down because I think that is a human disease. It was Satan's disease as well. Hung up on self-image and therefore, although you know the truth, you will not practice the truth. And confession is practice of truth. That's what it is. That's how we practice truth. We don't practice truth by studying Scripture and understanding Scripture really, really, really well. That's not really the practice of truth. Scripture, incredibly helpful. 
but that's not what it is. It's not that. You practice truth through confession. And primarily through confessing things that are a little bit embarrassing. Why? Because that's a harder workout. And therefore you get better results from it. Confession is awesome. Are you following me? Here's a little saying. If you won't confess the truth about yourself, you'll have a hard time appreciating the truth about yourself. If you won't confess the truth about yourself, you'll have a hard time appreciating the truth about yourself. Of course, what I'm saying is, if you won't confess the embarrassing truth about yourself, you'll have a hard time appreciating the powerful truth about yourself, the godly truth about yourself, which is an awesome truth. It's an awesome truth. But you're not getting the full blessing of God's truth about you because you're not really confessing the embarrassing truth about yourself. That's how it works. You see it? You're not exercising truth, so you can't receive truth. Following? That's why confession is so cool. Who likes confession now? Who wants to come up here on this microphone right now and share embarrassing sins? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't either. But I just thought I would try... If you found something good in God, man, there is life in God. There is life in this kingdom thing. There is life in this strange community of people. There's life going on here. There is power flowing around me. I know it. You found something good in God, but you feel disconnected from it. You're just not quite connecting the way that you want to. What's going on there? Well, probably, okay, not certainly, but I'll say probably one of the big things that's going on is that you're disconnected from yourself. You're lamenting, you're kind of feeling disconnected from God, but probably the issue is you're disconnected from yourself. You're divided, you're conflicted, you're a little bit confused about yourself, and you really ought to think seriously about the practice of confession, because that's the workout that's going to cure what ails you. If you're disconnected from God, you may well be disconnected from yourself, and the treatment is often confession, which is the way we work out truth the truth work out. Does that apply to you? It's like, I can see it, I can feel it, I'm not, what's going on? Why am I kind of disconnected? The disconnection is probably in you. And you can start fixing it by sharing embarrassing stories about yourself. I mean, it sounds really simple, doesn't it? But it's kind of what James is saying. Yeah, it is simple. It's really practical. Look, if you're feeling sick, if you're feeling disconnected, look, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to experience grace. You're going to experience freedom. The truth will set you free, as Jesus says. Confess. Come on. This is how we roll. This is what we do. Why is it so hard? Because you're afraid? Pfft, that won't last long. Get in a circle of filth. You'll like it. You'll like it. And is that not true, people who have gone through it? How many of you will like the circle of filth and then never confessed again? 
this is a fear culture uh, that keeps us uh, from doing it. Okay, how to use confession in your life. Uh, we'll just end real quick here. Uh, set yourself up with some sort of uh, daily accountability. That's step one. So this is just very, very practical confession uh, where uh, people that you walk with, uh, people in your Ohana group would be great. Get into an Ohana group, I'm telling you. They know what you're struggling with. They know what your patterns of sin are. And so they follow up with you. You know, they ask you uh, how it's going. I've got people like that in my life. They know what I'm struggling with uh, uh, in terms of my sinful behaviors or my failure patterns. You know, not every, not every failure is morally sinful, but, you know, we fall into these patterns. And then we hang out and, you know, invariably they say, well, hey, how's that thing going, Jordan? And I'll, you know, I'll give a thumbs up or a thumbs down and say, well, I'm struggling with that this week. And, uh, and usually that's, that's the long and short of it. I mean, usually that's all it takes. It's like, we'll just spend a minute exercising the truth of it. It'll be in the light. And I'm stronger for it. And I feel liberated because it's out there. You know, confession is good for the soul. I want my soul to be healthy. That helps me walk right. Uh, so daily accountability. Set yourself up for follow-ups. Set yourself up for follow-ups. Get into a small group. Get into an Ohana group. Set yourself up for follow-ups. Every Ohana group leader will use some version of our five discipleship questions from Sign of the Time. What's the Lord telling you uh, recently? Uh, what are you doing about it? What's hard for you? What's hard for you? Uh, and just, just respond honestly. Uh, the story that Julie shared about the great interaction that she had uh, with this visitor to her Ohana group was she basically said, what, what are you struggling with? And then the fellow who was not walking with God, had no Ohana group, was completely foreign to the culture, just gushed because he sensed, I think, a community of grace. And his life is way better for it. I would imagine. Uh, and then there are kingpin confessions. They're sort of daily accountability, follow-up confessions that you need to get into. Go to an Ohana group. And then there are kingpin confessions. Uh, that's what I call them, kingpin confessions, because I like the alliteration, the consonants, kingpin confessions. And they involve master weaknesses or failures that are linked to master lies in life. We can talk about this more at length in some other sermon, but my master... Uh, struggle. My master sin uh, is that I get angry. You know, a lot of guys have that pattern, right? That's where we go to. I get really angry, and then I can get really uh, depressed. And for me, it's usually linked to a sense of rejection uh, or failure. The master lie in my life, the lie that has haunted me and affected me more than any others, is this lie that I'm always going to have to do twice the work for half the pay that I'm going to have to struggle immensely just to eke by in whatever area of life that it's in. And that's a lie that has haunted me. So that's just a very quick summary of how my master sin is linked to the master lie in my life. Now, I've been walking with the Lord a while. I know this about myself, and people who walk with me know this about me. So if I'm getting angry, and you're one of my astute friends, you'll say to me, well, how do you feel cheated? How do you feel rejected? And then we'll just go for the lie. <laughs> uh, 
that's my kingpin confession. That's always a deal for me. Um, your core sin is probably linked to a core lie. Now, I talk about that a lot, and if you've been hanging around Blue Water, you've heard me tell stories about that. I tell a lot of stories about my depression and anger and, and rejection and stuff like that. I know this about myself, uh, and these tend to be some of the most powerful stories that I share. What's your kingpin confession? What, what's the sin that you constantly struggle with? Anger, lust, lying. Pride and manipulation. Start to tell that a lot, whatever it is. And what you'll find is the core lie in your life that it's attached to. And once you can do that, then you have a testimony that you can tell at the drop of a hat. And of course, I often do. I often do. I've done this on airplanes. I'll strike up a conversation with someone, and you know, and invariably it turns to what you do. You know, what 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 do you do? Meaning your job and what's your job? And I, I you know, I don't I don't just say, oh well, I'm a pastor, because that's like conversation over. You know, I'll be like, well, you know, I try very hard to um, to. Uh, work out my God-given purpose in the world might be a way that I say it, or I, very, I try very hard to build communities of faith might be a way that I say it. What, how did that happen? And then I usually say, oh, well, it started when I was suicidally depressed, dot, dot, dot. You know, that's a big factor in the genesis of my story. I'm immediately interesting because I was such a, I had such wretched trouble in my life. This is a story that you can tell at the drop of a hat. We could talk more about master sins and master lies, but do you get it? Start talking about those things. It will exercise truth in you, and you'll get there. And then you'll know, and then you'll be set free, because the more I talk about it, the stronger I am against it. Just say amen. Um, you can use confession as outreach. It's sort of the takeaway point. Uh, for that story. Your weaknesses and failures are what make you interesting, especially your kingpin weaknesses and failures. They make you incredibly relatable. They make you incredibly meaningful to people, which is why we are doing these failure dinners. You know, we're going to start sign-ups pretty soon. We're going to have some of you host dinners, and, and you're just going to invite friends to come, and you're going to bill them as failure dinners. We're going to get together, and we're going to share stories about our biggest failures. And uh, it'll be a little awkward, but, you know, we have tips for questions that you can ask and, and exercises that you can do at the dinners to make it work. Um, but discussions about failures and sins, they get significant in about four seconds. That's what's so wonderful uh, about them. If I reiterate the gospel for someone on a plane, that's not necessarily influential. But if I share my story about finding life purpose in the midst of suicidal depression, that's always influential. That's my truth. That's how I experience the truth of God uh, in my life. I also have stories about failing in my chosen career, about failing in business, about being kicked out of a church. All great stories. Um, anyway, 
more on that later. Let's just end with another question. What's a powerful truth about you that's worth telling someone? What's a powerful truth about you that's worth telling someone? There are, are all sorts of powerful truths about you. You know, your sonship, your daughtership in the Lord, um, the fact that you have a God-given purpose in life, that you've been redeemed by the blood, forgiven, and set on the firm foundation of grace. All of those things are powerful truths. What's a powerful truth about you that's worth telling someone? What's a message that you can tell someone based on a truth about you? The truth might be an embarrassing one. Maybe. So think about that for 30 seconds. What's a powerful truth about you that's worth telling someone? Write it down right on your bulletin. Tap it into your smartphone. Write it down. Write it down and it helps make it real. You got something? Wave to me if you got something. I'm not going to ask you to share it. Wave to me if you've got something. Just so I know. How many of you don't have something that you're like, yeah, that's actually hard. Wave to me, just so I know. Uh, if you've got something, then your homework assignment is to share that truth with somebody this week. You know, it could be a random somebody at work, or it could be in your Ohana group. So, Ohana group leaders, maybe you want to follow up on that this week. Uh, that might be cool. Uh, second question, um, is there some embarrassing thing about you that you're just not sharing? And therefore, it's restricting truth and power in your life and making you feel terribly disconnected. Some pattern of sin that, that you're locked in, some anger, some lust, some lies, some manipulation. There's something like that. I really want to encourage you just to confess it to somebody today. Uh, at the end of the service here in a few minutes, the prayer ministry team is going to be along the Mackay Wall. And they're just going to be there to minister the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what I would advise you to do is to walk up to them and say, um, just confess. And it's going to be exactly like the circles of filth at the Holy Spirit retreat. You're going to say, uh, you know, hi, um, I, I just want to confess that uh, for stress relief, I kick puppies uh, or whatever it is. There are a few unforgivable sins. Kicking puppies might be one, but even that, whatever you say is not going to be so, so much worse than that. And they're just going to say, in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven. Let me pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. That's it. That's all that's going to happen. I promise you it will help. Just that little interaction will help. That's how we roll. It's really practical. It's church 101, just like James said. Can you do that? Some little embarrassing thing. Some big embarrassing thing that you're struggling with. 
tell someone out loud. Forgiveness is easy. It will be changeful. Oh, Father, I pray that you would come and, uh, and just uh, release us this morning through works of confession. I pray, Lord, uh, thereby that you would heal us at the root of the problem. That we would get truth flowing into our lives in a way that will set us free. It's really easy, and it's a great promise. In Jesus' name, everyone says...